Give a little time for the child within you. Don't be afraid to be young and free. Undo the locks and throw away the keys and take off your shoes and socks and run you. I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. And I'm Jordan Morris, boy detective. And this is Jordan. Jesse, go! This week on Jordan Jesse Go, Jason Mansukis talks to us about his podcast, How Did This Get Made? And we get a visit from our most Olympian friend. Let's go. It's Jordan Jesse Go. I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. Jordan Morris, boy detective. Beautiful day in Los Angeles for once. Yeah, right? Jesus Christ. About time. About time that gloom, that gloom burned off, huh? Yeah. Get rid of that gloom. I'm tired of this. I'm, ta- I'm tired of the weather in Los Angeles, all this... All these shiny suns and clear skies, mm-hmm. and when a and when when two bluebirds uh, mm-hmm. drape a sweater around your shoulders, <laughs> it is the worst. It is the rope worst. it in. Oh, he's off on the throttle, Los Angeles. Sure. That's what I have to say. Hey, let's bring our let's bring our guest into the program here. His name, Mr. Jason Mansukis. He's the host, the co-host of the uh, Smash Hit podcast. Uh, how did this get made? He is uh, the star of films and television programs. Um, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. Oh, it's great to have you on the show. It is terrific to be here. You look tremendous. J- Mansukis is one of our handsomer guests. Ooh, I Wouldn't love this. Yeah, definitely. Nicely, nicely groomed beard. Oh, thank you. Yeah, excellent posture. Oh yes, always, guys. Come and on. Uh, I mean, you know, I haven't seen it, but I suspect uh, a, a big dick. Nope, no, nope. oh, it okay. is useless. It's tiny. Okay. It's like well. a baby's thumb. You could have. It's a baby's you thumb. Could have just run with that if you wanted nope, to. No, it's but... like a baby's thumb with an actual thumbnail in you it. You didn't have to tell us about <laughs> this. No, no, but... no, guys. I want to show you something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I mean, I'll see it. I've o- I've always been mm-hmm. curious. Nope, yeah. nope, guy, you guys are gonna see this. It's gonna be horrible. Yeah, oh. I mean, Milton Berle had you know like famously the largest penis in comedy. Oh yes, but you you feel like you want to wanna... go the other way. You know what? You want to be known for something. Sure, I've got a tiny dick, <laughs> really small. Have you guys heard the possibly apocryphal story about Milton Berle and the young comedian who challenged him? Oh, the uh, on- no. uh, uh, only enough to win. Story. Yeah, you should probably just say the punchline. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's probably the best way to I, handle this. I hadn't heard it, but I feel like there were spoilers in the punchline. Is <laughs> only enough to win. <clears throat> Interesting. All right. Good. They uh, they have a dick contest. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And Milton Berle says, "Oh, all right, I'll take it out, but only enough to win." <laughs> so amazing. Yeah. yeah. He's famous for his giant schwanz. Yes. Oh, of course. Got kind of a monster. Yeah. Monster winky down there. I mean, for real. And by mm. down there, I mean six feet under. Right. The late Milton Berle. Sure. Let's talk exclusively about Milton Berle for the rest of the show. <laughs> See how much Milton <laughs> Just Berle Just on a thematic level, I would like it. Boy, I think, yeah, then we'll, we're probably going to start running on fumes uh, pretty <laughs> immediately. soon. Yeah, immediately. And then we're going to go right to, well, he was the guest voice on The Critic once. Yeah. <laughs> I've got that his nickname was Uncle Milty. Yep. Okay. Friars Roasts, right, guys? Sure. sure. Joke book. And we're done. Initials MB. <laughs> too too weird looking to be on television. Sure. They had not figured that out yet. Liked wearing dresses on his show. Yes, absolutely. See, we're going. That's what you I call. Guys. Look at us. And That's it's what com- I call and it's, broad humor. And it's compelling. <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> Thank you. You are fired. Please, you. please see yourself that. out. Oh, man. 
alive. Oh, man, alive. How are you doing, Jason Mantzoukas? I'm pretty good. How are you, gentlemen? Oh, we're doing well. Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering, uh, your podcast, the How Did This Get Made podcast, Yes. you, uh, the the uh, theme of which is you guys watching famously bad movies and um, and remarking upon them yes. humorously. Yes. Uh, when you see a potentially bad movie coming to theaters like a I'm going to say a dread 3D. Sure. Do, is your is your instinct I have to go out and see that for the podcast or are you like there's no way I'm seeing this. I'll have to watch it for the podcast no. at some point. Oh, that's interesting. So, yeah, well, I'll see if I see something that looks particularly bad. Mm-hmm. Like I remember the trailer, for, specifically the trailer for Drive Angry in 3D. Yes. The t- which I, <laughs> I have seen Drive Angry in 3D. Which I am saying the entire title of. Drive Angry in 3D is right. the title. <laughs> in 3D is within the title. Uh-huh. Um, I was like, ooh, we got to do that on How Did This Get Made? And then we did. You know, like, but ju- the new Judge Dredd, I'm like, I'm torn because it looks almost good. I feel a little bit like that, too. I feel a little bit like... So I'm like, I might see that normally, yeah. and then if it turns out to be a real shit show, suggest it for the show. Okay. But um, but, but that'll are... mean having to rewatch it, though, right? Or... Possibly, because okay. I won't have taken notes the first time. <laughs> sure. And and people are always like, wait, you guys take notes? Jesse, you were just on recently, and we're like, wait, you have notes? <laughs> like, And the, the insanity of like me sitting alone in New York City... Uh, writing notes on the movie Smurfs during <laughs> a packed crowd with ch- of children watching like preposterous. Do you have Do you have one of those pens with a little light on I it? I don't. Like critics wouldn't use? that be amazing though? Because I think that would be an A plus. That would be really that weird. would upgrade you from B plus to A plus for sure. If yes. you had one of those pens, but I was recently on mm-hmm. How Did This Get Made? I guess the episode's upcoming soon. And it is. Um, it was a good one. And. Everyone just busts out their like field notebooks. <laughs> it's it is as though I, you are joining a group of birders. Yeah, I Ooh, I, I have that. also been on the show. I brought a moleskin. Uh-huh. Yeah, so and we discussed a movie that you we had talked about that you had been in. Oh yeah, yeah they uh, they did all about Steve on a previous episode, and oh. uh, as you know, I am. The star? Uh, well, you know, I'm second the romantic co-stars. lead. I'm the romantic, the romantic lead, lead of I'm all Bradley Cooper. You're the sexual lead. Right, sure. I mean, Bradley Cooper is in it, technically. But he's a real Uncle Milty in the looks yeah. department. <laughs> right, yeah. I bring that sexual heat. That raw sexuality. For two lines. Yep. 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 Uh, so, yeah, yeah, we actually got to talk about uh, my whirlwind experience shooting that movie. Yeah, no, that was good. Uh, that's what I love when our show, when we do have people come on or mm-hmm. people call in, like we'll, people will fall, find out we talked about their movie, like Skyline was one, and then the guy that wrote Skyline was like, hey, you talked about my movie. I want to call in and like rebut what you guys said. You yeah, know? yeah. I like that part of it. It's, it's you not, like it, that? Oh, I love that. I would not like that. Oh. That would make me very uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, see, I like that element of it, though. I like that it's a little uncomfortable. That it gets a little. That there's a weirdness to it. You know, I like that. Yeah. Well, you know, I think I think something that's great about your show is that you guys are all like working actors. You know, and uh, God, I hope so. And <laughs> I know, and like you have, not you know, for it's long. your job, so you have to do movies, and I think that. You know, because of that, because it is your job, you're not dicks about it. Like, it's fun to, like, laugh about a movie, but I think that sometimes, you know, when non-actors talk about bad movies, they can be dicks about it. But you oh, guys I are think, always nice, and, like, I think... Yeah, even, I think we're trying to, like... 
it less is a movie is it's less a show about us like just ripping on bad like mocking them mm-hmm. as much as it is us I think kind of celebrating how bad they are sure. or they celebrating how bad they are or how crazy they are in the case of like the crank movies or st- or Nick Cage movies and then being just utterly confounded by how bad they are if it's like Green Lantern yeah you know Green Lantern is a legitimate like I have no problem yeah. being like. It is an absolute <laughs> oh, epic so failure bad. of a movie. Yeah. And I love comic book movies. I like everybody in it. I think it's, you know, it is garbage. You yeah. know? <laughs> I have no problem saying that. It is literally garbage. Um, and that's, I think that's kind of it. Like, I don't think we, we go in, like, looking to, like, rip people apart or be like, these writers are terrible or this director is awful or whatever. What it, it more to us is just, like, what is amazing about this? Yeah. You know? It's the bees, the bees in Wicker Man. Uh, you know, or whatever. You know, it's funny you mentioned Drive Angry 3D. We've talked a little bit about late period Nicolas Cage oh, yeah. on the show. I think that's the first movie where it's like, okay, it's like with the Wicker Mans and the, you know, I don't want to say Bad Lieutenant because that's in its own little that's zone. That's such a good movie, though. Yeah, Bad that's Lieutenant's a great. great. Movie. Um, but, you know, like with the Wicker Mans, it's Nicolas Cage being cast in this bad movie and then just you know, acting the shit out of oh, it. Oh, yeah. Ghost Rider is a good example. Sure. Uh, Season of the Witch is one. Season of the Witch. Yeah. Uh, but Drive Angry is, I think, the first one where they wrote a movie based on late period Nicolas Cage. It's like, hey, you know, this movie is as crazy as he is acting. Yes. And yeah. I think that's the only one so far. Like, yeah. Like, is he going to drink a beer out of a guy's skull? Yeah. Yeah, he's going to do that. Yeah. Is he going to uh, fuck a woman with all of his clothes on yep. while smoking a cigar? Yep. Yes. And getting into a gunfight. Oh, yes. Also getting into a gunfight. When you say late period Nicolas Cage, mm-hmm. he's 55-ish. Yeah. Are you predicting his imminent death? <laughs> I mean, it, it's, I mean, either oh. either he'll die tomorrow or he will outlive us all. Nothing, <laughs> one no, of the two. Nothing would make me happier than the revelation that this is mid-period Nicolas Cage. <gasps> oh, Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> He's still got places to go. Oh, my God. What about space movies? Holy shit. Oh, yeah. Has he That's been movies, space? Well, no. Those, these, oh, are these are not movies, movies set in space. in space. These are movies filmed in space for a space audience. Mm-hmm. Oh, so like an intergalactic. It's a, fu- <laughs> it's a fubu for space people. It's like a real, it's a real five quadrant movie. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's all four Young, quadrants here on Earth. Younger and older, yeah. men yep. and women, and intergalactic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they prefer to be called space folk. The space okay. folk, of course. They're not They're technically all... people, so except it's for the space aristocracy, yeah, who well, do not appreciate true. that kind of <laughs> that kind of folksiness. That's true. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like I mean, it sp- sounds like this movement will have its own Tyler Perry, probably. Yeah, and I think that it could be it could be Nicolas Cage. Yep. What if Nicolas Cage was inspired by Tyler Perry? Yeah. to bring all the production and writing and directing in house. Under the Cage umbrella. There is a world in which Nicolas Cage could legitimately start doing movies in blackface and people would be like, yep, I'm cool with that. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. I feel like he could I do it. I think he transcends race, too. He, there's a very... And I, this might transcends be, species. <laughs> sure. This might be apocryphal, but there's a, very, there's a very prominent rumor that he was going to play the bad guy in the Green Hornet, the Seth Rogen Green Hornet, and um, oh, would only do it if he could do it in a Jamaican accent. And and, oh. and 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 everybody was like, no, 
no, you, you, no, you can't do that. And he was like, oh, then I don't want to do the movie. I, I apologize if this is a duplicate story, um, but it's it's relevant to the conversation. I have a buddy who works in uh, post-production, and um, he talked about uh, they did test screenings for the new um, Ghost Rider movie, the newer Ghost Rider yep. movie. And um, There's multiple Ghost Rider movies? There are movies? two oh, yeah. Ghost Rider movies. Well, both because of the success Cage. of the first one? Well, you know, the third, the first one was kind of in that first wave of comic book movies where people would just see any comic right. book movie. Right. And you get really shitty ones like Daredevil and Elektra and, and all these movies. And, a, you know, a weird rule that I heard is that Marvel, you know – you know, kind of the thing is like, eh, it's kind of a weird choice, the heroes they pick to be in the Avengers. It's because they only have the rights to so many of their Correct. own heroes. But if people don't make movies with the heroes, they lose the license and it reverts back to Marvel. So that's, I guess, why you see all these, you know, that's why they're like, why are they rebooting Daredevil? Nobody yep. liked it the first time, just so they don't lose the license. It literally is, because if they don't make that movie, Marvel gets it back. Yeah, so I think that's a And they're right now, with... like, in a whole negotiation trying to, tr- like, they swap characters, too. Yeah. They're like, okay, well, you can keep the license for this longer if you give us back, you know, the Silver Surfer or right. whatever. You know, there's a, all this jockeying for character position in that world. That's yeah. how come Spider-Man can't be in any of the Marvel movies, right? Yeah, Sony, Sony, Sony owns Spider-Man. Spider-Man. <clears throat> um, and then, and it's not just that. So, like, Fantastic Four, whoever owns Fantastic Four owns all of the Fantastic Four, like... Um, related characters. Rela- yeah, Silver Surfer, Galactus, all the characters Even, like, the to. crazy ones from the 70s? Maybe. I don't... That's a good question. I don't know about that. But, like, that's why you get you get weird, like, like aggregations of, of heroes and people appearing in movies and then obvious choices not appearing in movies because they belong to somebody else. Isn't you know? there a long... Isn't, I'm, I'm not mistaken in thinking that, like, late 60s, early 70s, Fantastic Four went through a long period of space mysticism, right? Yes. Well, that this is like I the... think Marvel w- was into space mysticism at that oh, point okay. in general. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. That's I feel like the Jack Kirby kind of like crazy era of like um like like Cur- what they call Kirby crackle is like all the and the Kirby dots are those like black dots that like are like signify like all these different kind of space stuff and it's very psychedelic and crazy and it's definitely Fantastic Four stuff. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Um oh it's okay. So my my buddy was talking about the test screenings for um for Ghost Rider. Um the second one. The second Which, one. Which Spirit of Vengeance. F- footnote Neville Dean and Taylor directed who are the guys that directed the Crank movies. Yes. Who we love. The, yes, they're terrific. Um and uh, uh, this movie is not a terrific movie, though. Um, How dare you? I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, so the test screenings... You're uh, going to have to take that up with Roger Ebert, our nation's most beloved film critic. <laughs> I think he probably. He probably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, in the test screening, sometimes the special effects won't be ready. And somebody will come to the front of the theater at the test screening and say, like, hey, just so you know, this is, you know, this is an early draft. Some of the special effects won't be in there. So just, you know, note that when you're you know, filling out your questionnaire at the end. So some of the Nicolas Cage fire skull heads weren't ready, but on the set, Nicolas Cage insisted on painting his face like a skeleton. (laughs) So what they saw, instead of this cool special effect, was Nicolas Cage acting like an insane person with his face painted in, like, voodoo paint. I would pay... Hundreds of dollars to see that. Just release that. Release that on that the DVD. That should be on the DVD. I know. Oh, that's amazing. Skeleton edition. Yeah. Nick and it, yeah. So I guess he was just you know, and he doesn't have to act because his head is replaced by a CGI effect. But I guess he was just going crazy 
with this face paint yeah. on. So all the oh my God. all the test scores for that movie were super, super low, apparently, because people were like, what is this? Anyway. Well, I think that's important. I mean, you hear that from film actors all the time. The actor who takes the time to give you something for their reaction shot is the actor who's, you know, truly committed to their craft. Sure, that's and true. If we know anything about Nicolas Cage, he is a craftsman. Yeah. Oh, yes. He's got he's got a refined aesthetic. Yeah. That he is committed to, and he believes in the integrity of the filmic world. Oh, yes. A cultivated insanity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be represented on celluloid for time immemorial. And to, yeah, and to him, like, Ghost Rider's spirit of vengeance is no different than adaptation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, these are, these are, these movies are of comparable quality. Yep. Well, he brought a Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance like quality to Adaptation. That's true. I remember watching Adaptation and thinking, "Wow, Nick Cage sure is going ape in this movie." <laughs> like this he is not there's there's no not Nick Cage in this. Right. He's he that I think that was around the point when I realized that Nicolas Cage had decided to commit himself to full-time passionate 100% Nicolas Caging, that there was going to be no more hedging of bets sure. or moderating No more honeymooning choices. Vegasing around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, that he would just be f- commit to madness in all that he did. Yeah. And then Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans is when I was like, oh, hang on, he's now lost his mind. Yeah, right. And he's <laughs> teamed up, uh, yeah, and he's finally found a director yep. who has also lost his uh, mind. Werner Herzog directing Nicolas Cage with Val Kilmer as his supporting role, this is like a home run of insanity. <laughs> sure. The movie's yeah. amazing. Yeah, well, man. Yeah, they, right, I could see how they would bring in, it's like, okay, well, here's the catering you ordered, and it's a, a guy pulls back a steam tray filled with spiders. Yeah, <laughs> I would believe that. How come there's not more Werner Herzogs in the world? Uh, Where are the Werner Herzogs? That's what I want to know. It's so prolific. Werner Herzog puts yeah, out like a so movie many a year, movies. Basically. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, I would like I would like to live in a world. I don't want everyone to be Werner Herzog, but I would like some Most Werner to be. Herzogs. Why well, sprinkling of Werner Herzogs? You go to the bank. There's five tellers. One of them Should is be... pushing the limits of the relationship between man and nature. Listen, I believe that on a daily basis, I should run across somebody who I could legitimately describe as Herzogian. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a tightrope. I think to be that crazy but also functional is just rare. I agree. And that's why I want more of it in the world. You go to like, you watch, you watch television. There's five weathermen, right? Mm-hmm. There's five weathermen in your local market. NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, My Network, whatever that thing is <laughs> yep. called. Yep. The CPN. What yeah. is it called? Yep, the CPN. <laughs> the, C- sure. the CPA. Let's just it's go the with network CPN. purely for accounts. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe a local news channel sure. or something like that. Probably a PBS. You get what do you get? You get you get two hot chicks, mm-hmm. two genial old men, yeah. and one guy who's trying to create lightning. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's the mix. So you get the four normals, one Herzogian. Yeah, that'd be great. Right? I would like that guy. That guy would think he could create the weather. Yeah, absolutely. What about this? You get in a cab. Four times out of five, it's a normal cab. Mm-hmm. One time out of five, the guy has a pet wolverine sitting on the passenger seat. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm into that. I mean, I I think they should get the regular 
weather girl to co-host with the Herzogian weatherman. Sure. So, you know, you have maybe, you know, an Asian woman with a ludicrous boob job, and uh-huh. she's alongside this madman. Yeah. And she I says— I want to know more about this Asian woman with a ludicrous boob job. Well— <laughs> I'm into this. Her boobs are huge. Because that just came out <laughs> of your mouth like you've talked done. about it before. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm just going with weather woman stereotypes. <laughs> Jordan has a, a sexual world that he's created in his mind. <laughs> yeah. And I say it like you're all there, too. Sure. Because you are sometimes. It's a sort of Henry Darger-like thing. It's of almost course. an outsider yeah, art yeah, 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 yeah. type situation. It's the Vivian girls, and, you know, uh-huh. I, I understand they're at war with their small penises. Sure. I live in, like, a closet space. Yep, yep. You and, were, you, uh, uh, we will all, when you die, discover reams and reams and of decades and decades of art that you've created. Right. And it's mostly Asian weather girl yep. themed. <laughs> right. Big boot, ludicrous boob job. And they're in a war against the horse people. Uh-huh. <laughs> they're led by, of course, General Werner Hertz. Song. Right, yes. Um, Who also has a ludicrous boot uh, job. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, mean, I think they would make a good pair. I mean, she yeah. can she can make some non-joke about like, well, it looks like it's going to rain this weekend. Hope you all didn't plan any picnics. Mm-hmm. And he can say something like, um, no one can ruin my picnic because it is made of nightmares. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a scene in um, Encounters at the End of the World, mm-hmm. the Werner Herzog documentary about um, Antarctica, where he's talking to a scientist who works with penguins. Like the guy works with penguins, it is kind of shy though. So you know, Werner Herzog's voiceover is commenting on he didn't really want to talk and blah blah. And then you hear Werner Herzog ask the guy this line, which made me laugh. Which I watch this movie all the time; it makes me laugh every time. He goes, "Talk to." Is there such a thing as insanity in the world of the penguins? (laughs) (laughs) And you see this guy. This guy who's already a weird scientist guy. Already he's been like, he's weird, right? Mm -hmm. He doesn't talk much. He says weird cryptic things. You see him look at Werner Herzog like, what? What are you talking about? Uh, and in Werner's like keeps pressing him on it. It's hilarious. Oh. Well, there's I when I watched Cave of Forgotten Dreams, um, I, I watched it in this screening, you know, like a critic screening, and everybody's wearing their 3D glasses. And throughout the course of Cave of Forgotten Dreams, which is a spectacular movie, as, as good as it gets. Um, it as is, good as it gets the movie. Yeah, it is it's a, as they, good as, as, show as, good like, as it gets. No, it is as good as it gets. It is so good. It is retitled yep. and re-released. So good. As good as it gets. Yep. The movie is so good, you almost expect uh, the the, uh, the ancient cave walls to be busted through by Greg Kinnear. <laughs> yep. yep. Like Absolutely. Kool-Aid style. Right. Hey, Kool-Aid. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> right. And it is, but you know that oh yeah was written by James L. Brooks. Oh, so but you good. can tell because so it has good. heart. Yep, mm-hmm. right. Um, the 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 movie is this beautiful meditation on essentially art and its relationship to the nature of humanity. Is how I would summarize this film. Very well. Done, it is a spec- spectacular movie. I couldn't recommend it more highly. Even it was amazing in 3D. If you've got like a 3D TV and a 3D Blu-ray player or whatever it is that people watch things in All 3D, right. you don't have to try and sell us so much <laughs> gear. <laughs> but I mean, even in 2D, I think it would still be pretty amazing. And but there are Amazon links on your webpage that yeah, you can I mean, buy all of these things at. Sure. Samsung. Go to <laughs> samsung.com slash Jordan um, but it's a it's a spectacular, beautiful, moving, meditative film, 
And then at the end, there's a scene, spoiler alert, with some albino alligators. Yep. <laughs> and there's been no, nothing about albino alligators to that point. It is a coda to the film featuring albino alligators where Werner Herzog wonders what the albino alligators of the future will think about the uh, cave paintings of the past in the future. There's a great Werner Herzog interview on Fresh Air for Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, and he's talking about how he didn't develop the movie. It came to him, and he said, but I, I added certain Herzogian elements. You know, he, he says the word Herzogian elements. And then, they, uh, the you know, Terry Grosser, whoever is subbing, whoever has, is like, oh, like what? And he's like, well... All of the iguanas in the movie I added, and also <laughs> a scene with a dead alligator. <laughs> it's cra- and then you watch the movie, and there is a scene that just cuts to, inexplicably cuts from the characters on the street talking to each other, and then it cuts to the point of view of an alligator off the side in the water. Just looking at them as if that's like a legitimate point of view to cut to in the movie. You didn't go to – see, that's the thing. You didn't go to film school. If you had gone to film school, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. would have learned about APOV shots or yeah. alligator point of view yeah. shots. It seems like yeah, totally. that came – that like some – he was – you know, Werner Herzog was drunk in some bar. Yep. And someone told him drunkenly dare, – it's like said – I bet you could never attach a camera to an alligator. Oh, my God. And he just said, fuck you. I'm going to make a movie. Get ready. Yeah. Yeah. God, what a beautiful man. Oh, so what good. What a beautiful man. One time, one time the, probably the most exciting thing that ever happened to me in my entire life was uh, I, had this, I, had this in, I did this interview with him, and there was all these weird, shitty things going on. They, like, cut the length of the interview, like, five minutes before we were going to start, and we had to set up our equipment super fast, and... It went fine. He's an amazing, amazing guy. But I was—I had been sort of disappointed by the experience. And then maybe three or four weeks later, and we had to do it in a—we had to do it in like a hotel suite, which is often the case with these movies. They make you go to a hotel suite. And um, and so like three or four weeks later, I had an interview scheduled with his son Rudolf, who is who wrote a book about humor in Nazi Germany. What else? Wow. <laughs> what else? And um, and. It's weird that he's not the craziest member of his family. Too. Yes. <laughs> Can you imagine if your dad is Werner Herzog? Yeah. Yeah, I the the interview with the interview with Rudolph was great. There was this moment where he said where I where he said like the best part about the book was finishing it because it made him so sad. And I was like, "Geez, Louise, yeah, well, it's the Nazis, they were yeah. pretty awful." Wow. <laughs> so anyway, I get this uh, I'm waiting for Rudolph Herzog to to come and I the doorbell rings I walk down my house is on sort of on a hill and there's a there's a stairway down to the front gate I get down to the front gate and my my uh fence is like cement because it's also a what's that called a retaining wall and so because you are a doomsday prepper yeah right so exactly your house is like a compound that you're afraid that people are going to crash into oh yeah and I mean and then I put down the drawbridge yep nice and um and no but I, so I saw Rudolph and the there the convoy can roll through with the water <laughs> they've been collecting out on the badlands exactly yep. so I open I open the gate and I say hi Rudolph I'm Jesse we shake hands and then sort of from around the corner comes Werner amazing <laughs> and I'm like what. And he's like, this is my dad, Werner. I was like, oh, we just met a couple weeks ago. And so Werner Herzog, 
I had to do this whole interview while Werner Herzog watched us. And uh, simultaneously went through your trash. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. But it was the most amazing thing ever that, like, Werner Herzog came to my – like, all – I've had – you know, until four months ago, I did my show at my house – and so everyone that was yeah. on my show came to my house. But for some While reason... While you're doing the interview, I'll be downstairs making love to your wife. <laughs> yeah. I will ruin her. During the interview, I have made a documentary about you and this interview. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was like one of the most magical moments in my life. And it made me... That and that video of him getting shot in the middle of an interview Holy and wanting cow. to continue doing it made me want to bring more <laughs> Werner Herzogs into the world. That's why I'm trying to... You, have you, are you familiar with... That's have, why you keep having sex with him, right? You, yeah. <laughs> have you guys heard of uh, Todd Barinovich? He's the, he was the quarterback for the Raiders for a time. There was a recent documentary film called The Marinovich Project, and he was raised from infancy to be a professional football quarterback. So his wow. father was a football coach and a, f- a former football player and essentially trained him throughout his life six hours a day or something like that to be a football quarterback. And he was a star in college but failed in the NFL. And I'm running a sort of Werner Herzogian uh, version of the Marinovich project on my son, Simon. So, so good. So I'm, I'm trying to expose him to any, you know, uh, just any kind of conflict between man and nature I can come up right. with. Uh, the more epic, the better. Um, we, we'll just drop him in a sand dune and see what happens. Sure. We'll put him on an ice floe with a few penguins yep. and a polar bear. You try and build animosity between him and his best friend. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Like I, I really try. I've, I've been trying to build up his Werner Herzog-iness. I made him eat a hat. Nice. Um, so all kinds of, uh, I, and I think it's really starting to work yeah, well. Yeah. No, we you are making speak, a serial killer. We're raising, <laughs> yeah. we're raising him bilingual English and English with a heavy German accent. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so and we only speak bilingual. with a heavy German accent at home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe spending a little time with biling. Biling. Yeah. Yeah. We're making him bilingual. <laughs> it's really, I, it's going well. I think it's really gonna. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. Either either you'll raise a great, you know, director of both documentary and narrative films, or uh, a raving homeless man. Yeah. Sure, <laughs> one of the two, or a sort of combo like Werner Herzog. Right. <laughs> anyway, we'll be back in just a second on Jordan Jesse Go. It's Jordan, Jesse Go. I'm Jesse Thorne, America's Radio Sweeter. Jordan Morris, boy detective. Brought to you in part by Ask Metafilter, thousands of life's little questions online at ask.metafilter.com. It's the best question site on the internet. It is. It's not, now granted, it's not a tough competition. No. All of the other ones are nightmarishly bad. But it's not, yeah, it's not a situation where it's just a little bit better than the other ones. It's way, way better. Yeah, it's actually really good. I Mm -hmm. sincerely, personally, frequently consult Ask Metafilter. Like if I need to know any tough question that I can't figure out how to answer, Mm -hmm. especially about a place I'm not familiar with or a field I'm not familiar with, I'll go on Ask Metafilter and there will be someone who has already asked that question. Where can I bury a body in this field? You know what? I was looking for a fun park to play with my baby in and Mm -hmm. I searched for that on Ask Metafilter. I found some great baby park advice. What a handy handy use. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, we also have something up on the Jumbotron this Mm -hmm. week. Uh, Wireland Robotical. Rylon. Rylon, excuse me. 
Rylon Robotical. Rylon Robotical. Um, this is a Kickstarter for uh, a robotical catalog of botanical delivery bots and a book of flower delivering robots. It's a classic flower delivering robot situation. <laughs> wow. Um, this is, this is amazing. This is a, a catalog of robots that, uh, delivered flowers and only flowers for eight years and then, mis- and then mysteriously disappeared. I think I would like to see a book about these robots. I would enjoy seeing a book about these robots. Go to Kickstarter. It's on Kickstarter and search for Rylon Robotical. W-R-Y-L-O-N is in, uh, Rywit. Yes. W-R-Y-L-O-N. Yeah, let's get, let's get that book out there. Let's get that book about flower-delivering robots out there. I mean, this is a can't-miss idea. No. This, this is yeah, something— This is a home run. Guaranteed I'm surprised home run. They did, they, Guaranteed home run. I'm surprised this didn't just go straight to Hollywood super producer Brian Grazer. Mm-hmm. You'd figure that if somebody had this idea, one of those, uh, one of those assistants— that is all that is in charge of making sure that Brian Grazer knows about what's cool in the world. Yeah, would schedule one of his know about what's cool lunches with the creator of Rylon Robotical, mm. so that he could plot a movie that starred I don't know Will Smith and Clint Howard. Sure, I presume. I mean, they've been looking for a project to do together. <laughs> they have been. ever since they presented together at the Tonys. <laughs> uh, Rylon Robotical. It's on Kickstarter. W R Y L O N. And uh, hey, if you want to get up on the jumbotron, go to maximumfun.org/jumbotron. It's Jordan, Jesse Go. I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. Jordan Morris, boy detective. Jason Manzukis, um, allergic to eggs. Are you really? Yes, yes. Is that a thing? That is a thing. It is what a is thing. it? What Although is I now the... realize I've, I just talked about it on another podcast, so I'm like, now I'm the guy that talks about being allergic to eggs on oh, podcasts. Oh, boy. That's my thing, but I am violently allergic to eggs. I mean, it's not a bad thing to be to be known for. No, no, it's pretty cool. I mean, if you're cool. going to be, it's better than like Richard Jewell. That guy was known for the Olympic bombing, and he didn't even do it. Didn't right? even do it. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's fine. You actually are allergic to eggs. Yeah. Oh no, violently so. Yeah. Oh, so viciously. So it's bad. That way, nobody's going to serve you any eggs. No. Nope. Nobody's going to put it. Or some cruel person your... is going to egg me. Is going to throw eggs <laughs> at me, oh, like yeah. on stage at a live. Don't. By the way, why am I giving people this idea? <laughs> if you want to kill me, here <laughs> is an easy way. Are you allergic to contact with eggs? I like will you break out. Be... I will break out. Like I mean, I wouldn't like uh, go into anaphylactic shock, but I would have a localized reaction. Wow. What about? Can you be around <clears throat> menstruating women? No. 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 <laughs> I'm like a bear in that sense. Oh, all right. I, I can smell them, and it drives me wild. Wow. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. No. No. They have to go to like a. They have to go to a bleeding shack. Okay. If I, if I have a girlfriend, which I don't, shockingly, <laughs> yeah. crazy. And she is on it her period. Crazy that she, you wouldn't have a girlfriend. Yep. Needs to go to a bleeding shack. I mean, it's handsome slash classy as oh, you yeah. are. Oh, I mean, right. I think yeah. that. Yeah, I think that. Like, I mean, if there's two things I know about yep. women, sure. is that they often menstruate. Yeah. No. No. More and, often than I'd like. And they love omelets. Yep. <laughs> so. 
I mean, I think you are. That probably puts you out of the running. Oh, yeah, yeah. It puts you in what we like to call the friend zone. <laughs> oh, boy. Are you still pitching that TV show, The Friend Zone? Yeah, I just want to get it out there, get, yeah. get some buzz you know going. What? Hashtag cool... friend zone, everybody. Oh, That's a cool idea. I hadn't heard about that before, but I'm excited to chat about it and buzz about it online. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag friend zone, guys. How do you know when you're in it? Oh, God. <laughs> Starring Breck and Meyer. Please stop <laughs> shouting hashtag friend zone. <laughs> you don't have to use the bullhorn. We can hear you. We're right here. All right. Coming this fall to TBS. <laughs> We're making 100 episodes TBS? in two weeks. Yes, oh, very funny. No. Hashtag friend zone, Breck and Meyer. Hashtag suits. Hashtag suits. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, guess what? So... I checked my email this morning, mm-hmm. and I got an email from a friend of the program who happened to be in town working on a secret show business project mm-hmm. with some friends of ours. That's all I can say! Hashtag friendzone. Breckenmeyer <laughs> coming this fall to TBS. I cannot say the nature of this. I cannot reveal any relevant hashtags. Mm-hmm. All I can say is it's a sh- secret showbiz project with some close friends of ours we should say that our only friend in show business is Brecken Meyer uh-huh. <laughs> from the Friend Zone yeah. coming soon on TBS. Yep. Presented by Samsung. Mm. Samsung.com slash Shot in 3D. <laughs> is... Pilot directed by Werner Herzog. We have called back everything. Um, uh, no, but uh, our friend Donna, who we went to see in the Olympics, happens to be in town. So I said, are you free this morning? Do you want to come by and visit the studio? And then when she got to the studio, it's like, oh, we should give her a microphone. Why did I? Why are we not giving her a microphone? So we gave her a microphone. Hey, Donna, how's it going? Hi, hi, everyone. It's exciting to have you in the studio here to uh, chat about, uh, you know, Olympics and whatnot. Yeah, it's fun to be in your little anechoic chamber with your lamp, <laughs> lamp that's, that's, that's and the murder fucking... hole that you. Have. We do have. <laughs> There's that's a... a you know that's a specific detail of the studio that we had not yet described for our audience. I think our audience at this point understands that it's a type of nightmare box that we got at a you know a, a set auction from one of the later Saw movies. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, right? No, not literally. I, that, but you believe it, right? I would believe it. Yeah, that, yeah. That it's not out of not not off base. So, uh, but what we haven't described well, we is we do make people uh, make ironic moral choices in here. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, and you did you did position me almost right beneath it and give me a microphone. You told me has been close to people's. Uh-huh. Buttholes? Yeah. So. Jordan yeah. said buttholes. Yeah. I and I you. said queefs. <laughs> <laughs> to catch you, the audience. Yeah. <laughs> Just to be, before we were recording, I did we say told Donna that, that her... she had the farts and queefs mic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but there's a hole in the ceiling of this recording studio that I think theoretically we should have plugged with acoustic foam, but it's a hole that you could run cables through or run a light through. And Donna immediately locked onto it because she was concerned it was some sort of murder hole. Well, I mean, if well, if the Huns attack, we're going to need to dump boiling oil on them. Yep, yep, yep. Through that hole? I mean, you know, or just wherever. I would be more nervous that someone is going to hook up something that is going to fill this chamber full of water. Oh yeah, through that hole, like from the uh, like from the top, and mm-hmm. then and then drop an egg in it. Oh boy, oh, <laughs> no. oh, now we're oh, poached boy. to death. Oh boy, uh, Jason, for your benefit, uh, we had Donna on the show, and and her Olympic um, event, the modern pentathlete, uh, isn't 
one that gets a lot of sponsorship, right? No. Um, so <laughs> she needed a new... Well, your, la- your laughter tells me that is comedically true. You can go to samsung.com slash go Donna go. Right. She did get a free 3D television out of the Olympics. <laughs> um, so we... So we did a, a fundraiser because she needed a new laser, laser gun, gun. Uh, for the pentathlon. Wait, what now? Laser gun. That's right. So, <laughs> hey, Donna, maybe you can explain why there's a laser Wait, gun involved. A laser gun? Yeah. Is Okay, go. Tell me how this works. Um, well, so one of the disciplines in pentathlon, or two of the disciplines are combined together, running and shooting. Sure. And uh, Is this like in the Winter Olympics, would you do the biathlon where you cross-country ski and shoot? It's just like that, but running. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah it's, but summer, a summer version, and instead it's inspired of a rifle, by, it's inspired yeah. by the same thing. Like Got just it. as the the biathlon is supposed to be like the skills of an alpine soldier. Yep. The pentathlon is the skills of a cavalry person. Got it. Yeah. I love that. Um. So and so cavalry people had laser guns back in the day. <laughs> right. Oh, this it's is a, a, yeah. It's a sci-fi. It's kind of for space folk. <laughs> I would think. <laughs> sure. Continuing the callbacks. Sure. Um, So so we raised some money to buy the laser gun. Maximum gun. Maximum gun. Yeah, and then some. Uh, I we I guess we want to know how did it how did it work out there? Oh well, you were there, and it was amazing. (laughs) And the gun worked well. The last round was five for five. We have to shoot five targets each round, and so how many rounds? Three rounds. Okay. Yeah, the last round was the best round. And how many – and what's the distance you're running in between rounds? One kilometer. Wow. Yeah, that's a heck of a distance. And I, in London, we got to run over the Meridian Line, which was really cool. Yeah. Wait, now what does that mean when you run over – does that mean that you participated in this event on two different days? Am I getting this correct? It goes with the sci-fi theme. You know, oh, gotcha. Just, right, time travel. Yeah. It's like source code, if you yeah. guys have ever seen source code. Or the movie 2012. Or, yeah, the island of the day before. <laughs> or, Here are a lot of sci-fi movies. Or the Smurfs. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot like the Smurfs. It's a lot like Starring Breckenmeyer. Right? So, is Breck- Breckenmeyer in the no, Smurfs? He's no, not. he's not. Neil Patrick Harris. Oh, fuck. So, so Donna. Skinny, skinny taller Breckenmeyer. Yeah, One of right. the things, we, we talked about your path to the Olympics uh, a little bit when you were on the show by phone a, a couple months ago. And one of the things that was really amazing about your path is that you had dropped out of competitive athletics for quite a long time between when you quit swimming, which was what you did before, and took up modern pentathlon. And so you are actually, you are like a, you are a grown up. You are a grown adult in graduate school. Thank you. Is it, it, does that mean that does that mean that this <laughs> that sounds a little? You're a grown up. <laughs> oh yeah, you're all you're all grown up. Now, huh? <laughs> it oh, was a very yeah. somebody's putting on their big boy oh, pants. It was yeah, a creepy well, uncle thing to you're say. A grown up, definitely. Grown up with your laser gun, huh? <laughs> but uh, but does that does that mean uh, what? I guess what I'm wondering is are are you was this Olympics your um, your sort of be all and end all for your competitive competitive modern pentathlon career. Or are you going to continue to do it into the future? I'm definitely continuing, and uh, but I'm having some fun with it. So I have to train a little bit more efficiently to keep up with school. And I actually have joined the Nordic team to try biathlon and um, <laughs> the mountain biking team just to be humbled because it's pretty scary to me. Uh, the heights or. 
Because it's on mountains, as I understand it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, just going up and going down and getting your feet off the pedals when your bike is going one way and you're going the other way. Donna, I know that you took up modern pentathlon sort of on a whim because a friend of yours was uh, happened to be on a ranch that had some of the things necessary. But you know that any hobby sport that you pursue will not lead to you competing in the Olympics, right? <laughs> I just want you to know that right now. Actually, just after the Summer Olympics, some friends of mine and I were out at a bar and we, we made a little, like a side side dare bet. We would try <laughs> to get to the Winter Olympics in the next six years. <laughs> Did you look into it? Was it like a Gina Davis situation a where Gina bit. Davis like <laughs> scanned the variety of available sports and chose archery specifically because she thought she could make the Olympics in it? That, yeah, a, a little bit like that. But there's four of us instead of just one of us. Yeah. And if one of us makes it, the other three have to be there in solidarity to watch. Uh. But you guys also want to produce a reboot of Cutthroat Island. <laughs> Is that also in your <laughs> bar bet? Have been in the, yeah, and have little... all joined Mensa. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those Gina Davis bar bets you make just before closing Every, time. You're wasted. Yeah. You're just running through Gina Davis you're talking about You're talking about a league of their own. <laughs> Do you have snow experience, Donna? None. None at all? No. Because you, you come from prairie country? Right up in Canada, we don't have snow. Right. Well, that's what I'm wondering. I do. If you is has in sincerely has the snow. I, I used to be a snowboarder, but uh-huh. I don't think that's going to help me on skis. Right. With yeah, no. Have you ever had a Nordic track? Oh no. <laughs> have you thought that about getting been... a Nordic track? <laughs> I think we've all thought about. It. That's Donna, a stupid question. I don't. I don't want to be weird or anything, but I can sell you a pretty heavily used Nordic. <laughs> Pretty cheap. You should understand. You're gonna want to wipe it down. No, no, no. you are gonna want to well, wipe it down. He says he used his Nordic. I track. have rigged it as a pseudo jerkoff machine. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to lie. It is pretty heavily crusted over. Uh, but I think it will do what you need it to do, which is presuming jerk, jerk that you're you a man who jerk off. <laughs> That, that's, uh, that's part of uh, biathlon. Right? It is. Yeah, it is. Modern, modern biathlon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> Very yeah. modern. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Modern biathlon? I'm sorry. I was training for the old-timey classic biathlon. Classic biathlon. Oh. Yep. Yeah, classic biathlon. Yep. Skeet shooting and jerking off. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and Quickly. smoking a cigar. <laughs> I really I really like the idea, Donna, of having a little fun with your Olympic training. <laughs> Like, I think that that probably doesn't come up for too many other Olympians. I Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I haven't ta- talked to any of them about it. <laughs> okay, so before the – when you were on before, we were – we could only speculate about what being in the Olympics was like. So let's talk – let's talk first about the experience outside of competition. So what – like, what do you eat? You know what I mean? Like, where do they? Where do you sleep? Okay, I, I just feel I feel like you're leading towards something else. But for eating and sleeping, <laughs> no, I want to talk about the Olympic sex village. I want to talk about basically. the. I do want to talk about that. Yeah. No, but here's but the answer thing. Donna real has a, we, when we were at the Olympics, we met Donna's very nice, very brilliant, very handsome boyfriend, 
And I think that if anyone was intimate, it was she and him. If but we're not going to ask about that. That we rude. Yeah, we're not rude. Right. We're anything if not rude. No, yeah. no, no. We talk about sophisticated Listen, things. When you Jack when you have machines, when you have a queef microphones. Yeah. When you have a sophisticated lady on the queef mic, <laughs> you don't want to be rude. You don't. You're right. You guys are right. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no. There's a world between vulgar and rude. It's different. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I intend to shatter <laughs> what li- what exists between those two worlds. So do you? Okay. Here's my first question. Do you exclusively have to eat at the world's largest McDonald's? You get to eat at this amazing warehouse site. It, it would be if you joined together, I guess, four airport hangers and filled it with all kinds of uh, individual food stalls with different choices, buffet style. And in that in that mixture is a giant McDonald's. Mm. And you can eat there. You can eat as much and as often as you'd like. And in addition to that, there are little stalls scattered around the village that sell, um, that don't sell they give away for free uh uh, basically what you would find at a nicer cafe so a latte or cappuccino or an espresso or you could also grab um, a little kind of fruit packet to go or some yogurt or i would think that like as part of training for the olympics and everything like there would be a component of it wherein you're trying to eat healthy you're trying for some for some events like you have to be like very vigilant about what you eat and uh, and all that so that are there options like that, or because like the idea that there's like a food court, like yeah. Olympic food court, is like, well, I well, I have to I have to compete in a couple of hours. I guess I'll just get some Sbarro to go, <laughs> and uh, I'll and, just cram uh, down a little Panda Express. Exactly. Maybe grab an Orange Julius. Oh, now you're talking. So it it was. Uh, there were abundantly many healthy choices oh, okay. alongside with the abundantly many unhealthy choices. Yeah. And I think that that catered to the two extremes of what the, the athletes who were there wanted because there were there's sort of a dividing line between pre-competition and post-competition. Sure. Oh, yeah, and so yeah, you can yeah. imagine the binges that were happening post-competition. The and sexual I, I binges. It, in addition to the sexual binges and the, the food binges. And, yeah. Is it like, here's, the, here's a question, I, a very sincere question about living in this world. Jordan and I were RAs. And as RAs, Res, resident, resident advisors, advisors in yep. college, and as resident advisors. So we advisors, know a lot about decadence, binges. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, we had a pretty spectacular lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Um, But as a resident advisor, one of your responsibilities is that you have to stay in college housing through the end of the year. And that means that while everyone in college is going home because they took their last final exam, you have to stick around. And you get to see this weird culture of... Some people are there because they still have final exams. Some people are just there because... Whatever, their lease hasn't started in their new apartment or they have nowhere to go or whatever. And so you see this clash of people who are trying to do something really, really important, which in this case was you because your competition was on the final day. That's right. um, With people who just give fuck all about anything and are just setting off fireworks in the halls. And have been waiting to do it for four years. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like yeah. It seems it, like there would be a lot of like pent up partying, you know. Definitely, I, and it's pent up for a number of reasons. And I think that's a really good analogy. The because the Olympic Village is a lot like a campus, 
and it's set up that way. And a lot of hacky sack. <laughs> and it's also ultimate full of frisbee. ultimate frisbee. It's also full guitar of like, jams. Fortunately, no. <laughs> it's also full of twenty-one-year-olds, right? Like yeah. lots of these sports. Like the, the your athletic peak comes when you're twenty-one, like a tennis player or whatever. Yeah, I think the age range is is a little bit wider and a little bit older than most college first-year ath- um, athlete students. But yes, it's not unlike that atmosphere for sure. So what, what what was it? How did you experience that? So I had a bit of an anthropologist hat on because I had to stay till the end and um, because the competition was on the very, very, very last day, the very last minute. And uh, so I just got to observe and talk to people and be the sober one. And just uh, it's it's not a bad position to be in if you're just curious about humanity and just. uh, Who is the coolest? Who is the coolest non-Canadian athlete that you met? Who is the most fascinating person that you got to talk to? Well, I think Mark Tewksbury, who was actually our chef de mission. So he has competed. He's an ex-athlete. But he's that's um, twenty years ago, and he was there leading us, and he was just such an interesting guy. It and would... he was always up before everyone, and still up late at night. But it was almost—I uh, don't know what the right metaphor is for someone who has unending energy. At mm-hmm. eight a.m., he I believe it's a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're talking to some sort of undead, yeah. immortal hmm. vampire. I, I don't know. I just follow that up. You know what? I encourage you to follow it up, but at your own risk. <laughs> just have a have a garland of garlic yep, and a yep. steak with you yep. while you're investigating this. Huh. So wait, what is maybe this? maybe maybe to maybe pull back your hair to expose your neck? See if that does anything. To yeah. You. So what did what did you say this guy's job is? He was sort of like our our leader. Oh, of the yeah, of the of Canadian team of the Canadian. So he's team. like the Woody Harrelson character in Hunger Games. He mm-hmm. kind of leads you guys. He trains you a little bit. Lovable drunk. Lovable <laughs> drunk. Or would you say he's more like the Woody Harrelson character in Cheers, where he serves you drinks. He's a yep. lovable bumpkin. I mean, I think we should also bring up white men can't jump sure. <laughs> while we're running with yeah, this. I'm going to go like, ahead and say he hustles you in basketball games. Mm, probably like a Woody Harrelson in Rampart situation, where he's a <laughs> yeah, vicious, sure. racist, crooked cop, uh, L- LA police. Co- uh, yeah, d- yeah. Or detective. was it like a Woody Harrelson <laughs> in real life situation, where he's always stoned, like in really inappropriate context, and he's always climbing up bridges? to unfurl hemp banners. Yep. Does Woody have any vampire traits? Oh, yeah. Oh, so interesting. It's such an interesting question. He doesn't exactly. (laughs) He doesn't really. You know, like a lot of of vampires, at least that I've seen in film and television, he's a very handsome man. Oh, yes. Did you at all have an opportunity to do a shot with Ryan Lotke? I didn't. You know, I was keeping an eye out for him and a few other people because I had in mind that I would um, play rock, paper, scissors with them or some uh, some variation on that so I could say I beat them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the Olympics. That's right. Yeah. I like that, but it didn't work out? It didn't. I, uh, I just sort of it, it fell off the list of things to do. Are there Are there Olympians at the Olympic Village who are celebrities to other Olympians? Is that a thing? That's definitely a thing, yes. Talking about what are we talking about? We're talking about like uh, Carl Lewis. 
Yes. And you just see, you, you know, um, yeah, I guess there are different levels of that Olympic excitement. So there are definitely athletes there who are jostling to get a shot, uh, get a picture in the opening ceremonies next to or of somebody there they really look up to. Sometimes they're heroes because of their athletic abilities and sometimes they're just, you know, f- fans of popular people. <laughs> <laughs> Where, when you would see other modern pentathletes around like in the food hall or in the hallway or whatever, would you try and psych them out? Would you like try and get in their heads? You know, just so, you know, like somehow like play psychological games on them. Like you put it, like you hold up two fingers and you put it on your forehead like it means something. Yeah, I like that. In or your just country. Like, or just like saying something kind of kind of hard to hear to them like, hey, blah, blah, blah. and when they say what, you go, what? <laughs> <laughs> or what about this? Like you see them and you go, sphincter says what? <laughs> Classic. Or you see them and you're like, oh, you made it. Oh, that's cool. I heard you dropped out. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool you made it. Oh, you made it? Who on your team got hurt? Yeah. Yeah, that's good Who one. are you replacing? Really yeah. undermining we this I know a lot about Olympic slams. We should have had this conversation before Donna went to the oh, Olympics. Yeah. We are being really useful. Yeah, Olympic skills 101. Oh, yeah, <laughs> psychological warfare. Man, six years from now, you're going to be in the biathlon and you're going to know what to, to do. do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I really think we, as three... Uh, you know, kind of dumpy, out of shape guys have a real future in uh, we get it. Olympians. We get it. Yeah, I don't know who this guy is that you idolize. Who is the, your team leader? Fire him. Hire us. Yeah, yeah we're gonna a, be we're a not chef Canadian. de mission. Yeah, there we go. Usually, it's one person. So, would you guys sort of um, like band together and put one suit on? Yeah, together? if we needed to, absolutely. Like, like the little rascals. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Like one on each other, like on each other's shoulders. Oh, a, a very tall like man, like a tall trench coat. <laughs> you know, to, well, to of, blend in. Of, of course, I, I have a ticket right here. Yes. <laughs> Me, the one person, one ticket for one man. <laughs> As long as it's okay if we peer around a few corners while we're there, yep. sure. I, I don't see a problem with it. Sure. Yeah, I think I say get rid of this Tewksbury guy. What did he ever do besides be a starting pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals? Yeah. I, I give him the hevo. Aside from being like a suburban Boston, the name of a suburban Boston town, I don't know what this guy's done. <laughs> <laughs> this, guy's, this guy sounds like, frankly, this guy sounds like the worst, literally, I mean this sincerely, the worst chef de mission I've ever heard about in um, my entire life. You are life. literally disrespecting the one person that yeah. Donna said she really enjoyed meeting. <laughs> you're really going after I know you're just angling for his job, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, well, I mean, he's the fact of the matter is this guy does not have cold weather experience. I do. I've yep. been to Lake Tahoe. Ooh. Okay, I've been, I've, I've skied with double skis, the skinny kind. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about from skiing? This is just bragging, frankly. <laughs> Sorry. This is just Sorry, bragging. but I've been to Sugar Bowl. I got a lift mm-hmm. ticket. I went on a mountain. I learned to do the snowplow. Okay. Yeah. I'm an expert at winter sport. Okay, this guy, all this guy knows is sun and surf. Yeah. If you want somebody to give you some surf and turf. Yeah, like, like all Canadians. Shrimp. Like all yeah. Canadians, yeah. he knows sun and surf. <laughs> yeah. This guy knows. You want somebody to braid your hair into cornrows? Get Tewksbury, okay? <laughs> you want somebody that knows how to cross-country ski and shoot a rifle? I'm your guy. Yeah. 
You know that he was the chef de mission for the Summer Olympics, right? Yeah, well, that's but that's why he's ill-suited for your future athletic pursuits because you're going winter now. Oh, you're coming with us to the Winter Olympics. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, yeah. we're in for winter. We don't fuck around with summer. You know what? Like, because we're winter at the is beach. coming. That's our we're motto. at the beach mm-hmm. hanging out. Winter Olympics. That's our jam. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mittens. <laughs> <laughs> Scarves. Hot cocoa. Hot cocoa. Ooh. Did this guy? Okay. And answer me honestly here, because I don't want any bullshit from you, Donna. Okay. Did this guy give you any hot cocoa during the course of the Olympics that you participated with him? No. Okay. Yeah, so well, let me ask you another question. Let me ask you another question. Did you win a gold medal? No. Well, well, here we there go. There you go. There you go. There go. That's it's just simple math. math. That's, That's just like, simple math. It's just like uh, it just this is the it all adds up now. Oh, man. I want Okay, now I want I want to talk about the actual competition because you you were you had to be there and focused on this competition for literally the entire Olympics. You know, the, this this it's going on around you, and your event was the last one. In fact, they, like, went from the, – the, everyone went from the medal ceremony at the modern pentathlon and, like, ran off to do their end of the Olympic ceremony. You know the classic – you know the Olympics, their famous end of yeah, Olympics yeah. Yeah. ceremony? Yeah, the yeah, yeah. The, the, we all know e- what you're talking about because that's what it's called. The EOOC. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. End of Olympic ceremony. <laughs> Everybody knows it. Yeah, sure. You should have just that's, said the EOC. That's yeah. not to be confused with the ELOC, which is the Electric Light Orchestra right. ceremony. That's what they used to open the Olympics. Right. Or the ELOW, uh, Electric Ladies of Wrestling. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so <laughs> where they wrestle 70s prog rock band, yep. ELO. Yep, yep. You do. Jeff, Jeff Lynn uh-huh. puts on a bikini. As you... long as it's not on the same night and they have good signage. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> so, so, Donna, you did, you did all five of these events in the same day. Um, is that has that always been the case that, that all of them were done in the same day or did, was, were they spaced out before? There was a time where they were spaced out. Um, it was a long time ago, though, and uh, and the sport has changed in a lot of its format ways. It, and so, yes, they used to be spaced out, but when they were that way, each event was um, a little bit heftier. They did more of everything. So was it – I mean, what is it like to – tell me about how you felt when you showed up for – the first thing that you did, I know swimming and fencing was first, right? Yes, in it, the morning. Yeah. When you like sh- stood at the starting line or whatever the equivalent is for fencing or swimming, what did it feel like? So we arrived at this building called the Copper Box and we got into our fencing uniforms. We got warmed up in a separate room, not the room where we'd be competing. And then they're like, swimming is first. So then you had to dive in the water. <laughs> and that's dumb. <laughs> and, um, so they really saved the moment where we were about to compete in the first event in in the fencing. They saved even the moment of us. So they had kept the warm-up completely separate. So it means that we walked in for that very first moment where they called our names and we walked into this big stadium and there were people looking down and cheering and you could see uh, flags all around in the stands. And it was a very powerful, emotional um moment at the beginning of the day. I, it's orchestrated really well. 
I cried a bunch of times. Did you feel like crying at any point? That is the point where actually there was a little tear in my eye. Is it such that you could now, if you wanted to, try and become simply an Olympic fencer? Like, could you now, would you specialize in one thing or another? Or is it always cumulatively you want to be doing like the pentathlon or or going toward a spy career or something something or going to a spy career or a bond villain becoming a bond villain that's what we've been pitching donna we've been pitching a sort of cia type situation i love this like an ultra or i mean donna i don't know if you've considered this but if you can't if you can't convince this the canadian cia the ccia to (laughs) to allow you to be a super spy Perhaps you could follow the example of national uh, gymnastics champion Kurt Thomas and combine pentathlon with karate and produce a fictional film set in in large part the village of the crazies where you take on enemies using your modern pentathlon skills. So I, the movie you're referencing is Jim Cotta. Yes. I just want to say it's Jim Cotta for yeah. people who are like, "What's he talking about?" Please go rent the movie Jim Cotta. Yeah, and um, there is there was a movie made. I'm not sure how long ago with Dolph from He Man, who called Pentathlon. So actually, it's that territory has <gasps> been covered oh, already. Why did we know this? Why did we know wow. this? Why did you wow. tell us this a long time ago? Sorry, Where he's I a pentathlete? Apologize. Yeah, he uses his – it's sort of a pentathlete gone awry and he uses his training for – A rogue pentathlete? Yes. Oh, boy. Wow. Got to watch that. That's amazing. It's a, I mean that's a problem. Pentathletes yeah. go rogue. Oh, yeah. Oh, for that's sure. That's so funny. What, how did you feel – did you – you've seen it. I've seen parts of it. Oh, okay. I watched it all the way through. Yeah. But he used to show up. Um, because you only, watch, you only watch until you orgasm, and then you're like, oh, I'm done. <laughs> why keep, why yeah. keep watching this? Yeah. I was on my Nordic track. Yeah. <laughs> nice yep. callback. Yep. Um, that's wait. So he was hanging around to like get into character? He wasn't there at the Olympics, but uh, he has come to pentathlon competitions wow. in the U.S. in the past and sort of been around. Is um, he like a major pen? He's he's the pentathlon celebrity, sort of like how Jay Leno is the steam-powered car celebrity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess so. Yes, I guess. Dolph Lundgren too, all denim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, denim head to toe. Always, he's a very modest man in a lot of ways. He only spends he only spends his gig money. He keeps all his expendables uh, money yeah. in the bank. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's, I want to get I want to get back to this I want to get back to this competition when you were when you are training for this competition. Obviously, your your goal is anytime you're training for a competition, your goal is to win. But were you thinking when you stepped up to the starting line, like let's do this gold medal? Actually, I was thinking this is so amazing. Uh, my family's here and my friends are here. So I was a little distracted by that, I guess. What about what about during the course of it? I mean, I I wondered, and uh, you know, for for those who don't know, Donna did quite well, but uh, was sort of in the middle was in the middle of the pack um, in a in a big field of people. Um, I I just I I'm sincere I'm sincerely wondering, like, did you did you go into this thinking? What I want out of this experience is to win because I think a lot of people that are athletes at that level, that's a big motivator for them, right? Right. Um, you know you know in your heart you can win and I knew that in my heart. 
And then you set goals, though. If you set the goal to win, it doesn't help you achieve it. So your goals are more of quantifiable kind of checklist kinds of goals of things that you are, are smaller and under your control. So I walked in thinking, like, yes, I know I can win this, but my goals are things like um, to hit certain splits in the swim or to get a certain percentage in the fence and to ride a certain way in the ride. So it, it wasn't there wasn't this. So it's kind of like it's just like a it's like a math problem more than it is a you know vision board motivation thing. That's yes, yeah, that helps. Are you are there certain things and there must be that you are better at that you are leaning more heavily on like oh I might not have done as well as I wanted in fencing but I know I'm going to crush in swimming or whatever the however it breaks down. Yes. Definitely, there's a bit of that, and and uh, everyone has. We know each other. We see the like the pentathletes who are at the Olympics. We've seen them for the last four years on a regular basis. We've there's sort of a in the world there's sort of a top two hundred people, but you'll see the top one hundred over and over. And by the time it gets closer and closer to the Olympics, you have a pretty good idea of who it's going to be. So this group of people, you know them really well. You know who has strengths and what. So on the day, if someone maybe finishes in the middle of the pack in fencing, but normally they finish first in fencing, that, that's, an, that's an opportunity that other people will jump in and fill and take, take over. And, and vice versa, someone might be in the middle of the pack in fencing, but normally they're at the bottom. Uh, and so you know they're having a really good day and that sets them up for later. <laughs> what, I mean, one of the things that uh, I would struggle with emotionally, I think, is... I can imagine gearing myself up for a competition. Like if I if I was if I was running a, a hundred meter race, I can imagine going up to the starting line, throwing all of my emotions into that hundred meters, and then being done with it at the end, whether you know whether I won or lost, right? But one of the really intense things about what I saw you and the other competitors in modern pentathlon doing is that this is a day. And so you finish your swimming and you have four more things to do. And the story is being told over the course of this whole day. That must be a huge emotional weight. Yeah. And you can't look forward or backward. You are sort of stuck in a narrow, narrow kind of corridor of the present. You you are in, say, the ride, which is right in the middle, sort of. And... Um, at, you are not thinking about what's already happened, at least while you're riding and preparing for the ride, and nor are you thinking about what you have to do next, which is, it's hard as a human being to, to do that. To Truly live in the moment? And It's, it's not, almost impossible. Right. Well, the moment here expands to fill, say, a two-hour block. So yeah. to truly live in a two-hour block. Say yeah. the okay. length of a drive angry in 3D. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Just to use a metaphor Just that, that, that yeah. I understand. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, did you? Did you? Were there? Was your? Were you able to talk to people who had been in this position who could prepare you for what it was going to be like? Because you have could competed in innumerable modern pentathlon competitions, yes. but what it would be like to do it in the Olympics? I was fortunate enough to have um, someone agree to, to sort of talk to me and mentor me. Lorianne Munzer, who won, she's won world championships and she's won an Olympic gold medal in um, in track cycling. And 
And so she, we had some sort of heart to hearts on the phone before I left, and uh, that was really interesting and really useful. What did she? What did she tell you that was useful? Um, not to underestimate the mental game, just what a huge component uh, that plays, and specifically to like to to be okay with looking out for for myself and not. And even though it makes a cool sound, don't put baseball cards in your spokes. Right, it's bad <laughs> yeah. for the baseball cards; they might become it valuable. Makes, later. Yeah. yeah, it makes a really cool sound. Yeah. Well, she had an amazing experience where both of her <laughs> wheels um, were busted right before her oh, race, dear. and coaches from other nations, two separate nations, uh, each lent her a wheel for her bike. Oh, so, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. There is a, there's, a, there's a scandal going on right now on, for the American speed skating team where, like, nine members of the speed skating team have filed official complaints against their coach saying that he is both physically and verbally abusive and has encouraged them to cause... Yeah. To and sabotage, one of them has admitted to has admitted to cheating, at sabotaging the of uh, yeah, another skater's skate, which then malfunctioned, uh, and it's like the whole team is in revolt. Yeah, in fact, they they apparently they not only filed a complaint about this, but they have now filed a lawsuit yeah. because they weren't happy with how their complaint was dealt with. Yeah, like geez, Louise, I can I can only imagine. I the I, the lesson is the lesson here is stay away from. The speed skating coach. This guy is bad. This, guy, news, this so. guy's like yeah. the sensei in Karate Kid. Sweep the leg, Johnny. This guy you know? may <laughs> even be worse than Tewksbury. I mean, just. I mean, they're cut from the same cloth. I mean, right? they're obviously from the same duplicitous. These guys are Olympic. Both. Did you ever, when a lot of events had already finished and you were in the Olympic Village walking around, did you ever like walk into a room and it was just like a some sort of bacchanalian? orgy situation <laughs> happening where it was just like the swim team was like fucking the gymnasts, tennis team yeah. and the gymnasts and everything. We're vaulting over everyone. <laughs> I think that um, I think that the uh, sort of loud thumping tech, you know, techno music emanating from certain rooms mm. and or socks on handles kept me out. out was there really socks on no, handles? No. Yeah. Oh my god, that would be amazing. <laughs> Um, I, I have to. I want to. I, I want to get back to the competition and to the part that the part that we saw. We talked. We talked about this a few weeks ago on Jordan Jesse Go. But the part that was the most emotionally wrenching for me th- throughout was the riding, because um, I guess I, I, you, I, you had described to us what it was like. Um, and you know the the central part of this is that it's people riding horses they haven't ridden before, but seeing it. Um, for all of these competitors, I mean, for the 30 or so that were competing was completely overwhelming to me because it was, it was such an intense relationship between these people and these horses. When I say intense, I don't mean in the traditional sense of best friends with your horse, but just they've, they, you know, you get 20 minutes on this horse or whatever. So it's just the highest possible stakes thing with the most emotional stakes. Yeah, that's right. And it, I, I know it's so funny because we go so out of our way in sport to make it as, um, to make the rules and to create the boundaries that are very well defined to kind of weed out luck and make it so super specific and then yet you reintroduce into our sport in particular this huge element of chance. 
And, and, and it just and at the Olympics in particular, it just comes to a head. It's just this, and like and the the chance being that you've you're given a horse that you do not know, right? right. That's yeah. what you guys said earlier. Like and that's that is, crazy, and that is actually. I mean, the amazing thing about it is that the reason that that happens is because they want to eliminate another thing, which is the horse. They want it to be about the athlete rather than the horse. Right. So the horses are given out as a random draw. But to see everyone. Compete, compete with those horses. The will of the combined will of the riders and horses was overwhelming to me. I mean, like sincerely watching it, I it was the most intense sports thing I've ever seen in my life. Right, and it, that's it's perceptive of you to pick up on that because it's the horses. So the athletes of you, you kind of expect that from them. They're they're everything. They've already come through two events. This is the third event, so already um, they've got a lot. Um, a lot potentially to lose depending on what position they're in or a lot to gain. But then the horse is such an intelligent creature and it's your teammate. It is, it's not sort of, um, it's sensitive to everything that's going on. It's sensitive to how the rider is just, how the rider's feeling, that intensity the rider's putting out, but also the crowd. Some of those horses probably hadn't been in such a situation before. And so you feel the horse when you enter the The horses ring. are used to playing small clubs. <laughs> and then there's, you know, little club gigs yeah. and yeah, they festivals. Went, that's where they collected the horses from. They just kind of sent someone out to right. local clubs. And... Are you ever like, oh, shit, I got a dumb horse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. I got one of the dumb ones. Mm-hmm. Well, a dumb horse is not... The worst thing you can have a kind of a real smart Alec horse who <laughs> just wants to do <laughs> like one one liners yeah. <laughs> like, like Spider Man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Spider-Man. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, I would say a dishonest horse is your worst. Oh, fear. Don't you don't have to get mm, yeah, me started sure. on that. I have lost horses. so much money in horse. Games. Uh, yeah, some of my biggest heartbreaks are. Lying horses, sure, but Dishonest. I mean, there was there were moments there were more moments in the riding po- portion of the competition. There was one where uh, one of the competitors was the the horses. They go on this jumping course, and there's essentially a That's there's the a technical term yeah, for it, right? A exactly. jumping course, great, yeah, exactly. And there it's timed, and so you have to complete the course within a certain amount of time. That is a sort of moderate pace, I I would say. But what happens is you lose points if the horses don't go over the obstacles, if they don't do the jumps as you would like them to, or if you're thrown, or if you don't complete it in that moderate pace. And so one of the competitors at one point was thrown as she approached uh, one of the obstacles, held on, um, and went over one of the obstacles while holding onto the holding full arms around the horse's neck underneath the front of the horse um and she went over the obstacle i was i was worried for that she was going to be killed um but she she turned out to be okay at least as far as i know she got back on the horse she she went off the horse after it had completed the jump and got back on but it was those moments where uh, it was those getting back on the horse moments that overwhelmed me. Yeah, I it's, um, <laughs> so there. So I I know uh, the jumps that you that that 
that woman, um, Tamara from Mexico, was riding. And sometimes the jumps are grouped together. And so this is a case where there was a, what we'd call a triple combination. And you're severely penalized if you miss one of them. You have to go back and do all three. You can't just come back in the middle and jump half of it. So it's really bad not to make it over any element of the triple. And so that horse was a super honest horse where, you know, it kind of, even though she was hanging off its side, it knew its job and it carried her through. Um, And then, yeah, it happens so often in the riding world, not just in pentathlon, but anyone who's worked with horses, you fall so often. It's um, and there's always a risk of like of breaking something, breaking your back, breaking your jaw, break, you know, or you can walk away completely unscathed. And you that just, element, you kinda, that's what you sign up for. So. That element, I'm, and I'm assuming this is what you're talking about, Jesse. That element of true danger, like when you're watching whatever, like you know, track and field or whatever, you're not really wa- you're watching athletes at their best competing against the other like their peers who are also at their best and there is inherent drama to that there is something amazing about that performance but there is danger in what you're describing there is true like we under i understand even if it's as rudimentarily as like christopher reeve like like i understand the true danger that is at stake here you know that is not present in probably 98 percent of the rest of the events you know Right. Okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And uh, and yes, I, I mean, as the athlete, you really don't give that very careful thought. Um, but as I would assume you can't. You, I would assume you can't let that enter your mind in a way, lest it kind of like eat away at you. Like if you're worried about like what could go wrong, rather than what you're describing is like the goal. You're setting a goal to get to the goal that would that would mean you're moving forward. Like, because I would make a terrible athlete. I'd be like, I'm definitely getting trampled today. Definitely, mm-hmm. definitely going to get trampled. Like, I, even if I was in, like, a, like if I was running the hurdles, I would be like, I'm sure a car is going to drive on the track and hit me. Like, this is, <laughs> there's rogue, no rogue way. Javelin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sure. Rogue, rogue Javelin. That's the name of my improv group. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, come see us Tuesday nights at UCB. <laughs> the, I mean, the, the, part, the part that was so stunning to me um, and – it led to uh, me crying several times from the stands. <laughs> to be fair, basically, uh, basically, our last year of podcasts has been you saying instances where you've cried. I know. What is that about? I don't know. But you've gotten super emotional. I, yeah. I have. I, I guess it's my I and guess really, it's really a kid. liking everyone to know when you've cried. Well, you know, I mean, it's it's intense. So the thing that um, the thing that was really powerful for me, I think, was the was the getting up part, you know. And there is a certain, and I think it's related to it's related to that sort of gentle pacing of the whole event that it takes place over the course of a whole day, and and it makes it a very emotional thing in addition to a physical thing. But I think that. I can I can imagine, you know, a a runner, you know, a distance runner stumbling, falling and getting up because it's about this headlong go forward thing. And to see people fall in, including you fall in the on these horses where it is a where you can't just say, well, everything is driving forward. You know what I mean? So it's not only a matter of getting back on the horse, but it's a matter of getting back on the horse and then executing this incredibly, um, you know, emotionally and technically touchy 
series of maneuvers, that really got me. Right. You almost have to instantly forget it. You're back. You're always at a clean slate. And so that, that's part of your mental game, that you approach each jump as the first and last jump. And you are, and so in that sense, our block of two hours narrows down to one jump at a time or a few jumps at a time. And you and and of course, and if you don't operate that way, it's to your detriment. If it, that remind, yeah, that reminds me of the movie Touching the Void. <laughs> if any of you have sure. seen Touching the Void, um, wherein do, do you know the movie I'm talking about? I don't, it's I don't. a it's a documentary about these uh, two men who are climbing uh, a heretofore unclimbed peak in Peru, uh, like ice climbing. You know, like true like uh, mountaineering crazy climbing. One of them breaks their leg. Um, and the other man is lowering him down. They have to lower themselves down the mountain. Nobody knows they're up there, really. Uh, he lowers the broken-legged man off of the edge of the mountain without knowing it because it's whiteout conditions, and they just sit there for hours, one man dangling in space and one man anchored to the mountain, not knowing what's going on, and the an- man anchored to the mountain cuts the line. So this man falls. Broken-legged man falls through space and falls into a crevasse, and now the, the rest of the movie is the two men's journey to get down the mountain, and broken-legged man says... Very, you know, in, in the movie he says, you know he's alive. It's not a spoiler because he's part of the movie. Um, but he's like, if I had thought to myself, I have a broken leg. I don't know where I am on the mountain. I'm in a crevasse. I don't know how to get down. I would have given up and just died. There's it was, it was no way. But I what I mentally did, you don't want to call it a crevasse in yeah. your head because that <laughs> yeah. is more psychologically damaging oh, yeah. than saying big hole. Yeah. So what he did was he was like, all I could do was say – I can see that rock ahead of me. I have to get there within the next 30 minutes. And rock by rock, bit by bit, he gets down the mountain and survives. That reminds me of two things. One is um, a a podcast that described self-denial and and, um, self-delusion and the advantage it gives athletes, which is really interesting, I think. And, and and humans as general, but there was this there was this athlete who had done this amazing cross country bike trip, and he gave an analogy to um, and I like this analogy because it relates to marshmallows. He said <laughs> that his amazing bike trip, the only way to get through it, and it's not as amazing as this guy as broken legged man crevasse story, but he said it's like being in front of a marshmallow the size of a giant building that you have to eat and hmm. you just take one bite at a time. Yeah. I love that image. No, Sorry. there's <laughs> I'm obsessed with um I lived in Morocco for a while and there is a saying in Morocco that I always loved which was little by little the camel gets in the stew. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is kind of fantastic too. I mean, I just don't like the taste of camel meat, so that's not yeah, yeah, really no, it's, it's 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 pretty gamey. It's gamey, yeah. <laughs> but there's in the in the modern pentathlon and in this riding event, there is this other element which which we I mean, which was so vivid, which is the relationship between the rider and the horse, and so there, you know, it's in contrast to something where you can just where you have full control over what's happening. You know, you. I, I would imagine that you can't completely leave the past behind because you have to manage this relationship based on what you know about this horse. Right. So I guess by leave the past behind, I mean that it doesn't shape your expectations of what's what's coming up, but you take it as just a part of what you know to help you make better decisions. Yeah. I hope that doesn't sound too abstract. No, not at <laughs> all. There, there was a there was a moment where um, uh, one of the competitors 
was her horse was being exceptionally obstinate, and I don't know whether it was um, for technical reasons. I it mean, had one not of the things... had its juice box. No, yeah. I know the horse you mean. That horse is just a dick, <laughs> yeah. right? That horse is a fucking dick. Everybody knows. But it. I mean, one you of go the to things... a bar and it's like this place is such a scene. <laughs> okay, where do you want to go? <laughs> Sorry. One of the things. I've one of the things about it's one difficult. of the things about this horse jumping is that. The horses often know when they're positioned wrong to jump over the thing. So Absolutely. they have to pace their – so part of the rider's job is to pace the length of their strides so that they're in the right place to jump over the thing when they get to the thing. Exactly. It's like when you're – you know, if you've ever skipped around and hopped over obstacles pretending you're a horse. <laughs> sure. Do it sure. every like goddamn day of my yeah, life. Yeah. <laughs> this is like you're describing my whole college experience. Yep. Um, so the, the, so I don't know whether it was because of pacing or because the horse was just being a dick. Um, but one of the competitors was having a, a terrible time with her horse and it was stopping short very consistently. And at one point she brought it back around and whacked it with her crop. And it was – and no one else in the competition had whacked their horse with their crops, <laughs> at least that I'd seen. You know, she gave it a full-on rump whacking and – you could you could feel in the crowd like, you know, like this moment of and you could see that she was doing it because it was the only tool left in her toolbox was to be like, hey, horse, I'm the boss. Um, but it was it was so emotionally fraught to see. Yes. And, you know, so um, I didn't see her ride, but I can picture that because I've seen things like that happen before. And there's this huge argument that you can have up there on your horse. And sometimes the argument is super subtle. And it's just the difference between the horse leaning into your right heel and you putting pressure right back on it. And there's a conversation happening with your body language. And sometimes it's not nuanced at all where the horse's ears are pinned and it refuses and you whack it with the crop. And, you know, it's just, just very public, awful argument <laughs> that you're having. It's the equivalent of, I don't know, some kind of abusive shouting match. Sure. You're that, you're that couple at the party who are like, I don't even know why we're here. I didn't want to come. These are your friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the horse is saying yeah. to the person about yeah. like I didn't want to come 20, here. I just wanted people to, watching. I just wanted to stay home. Get something on Netflix yep. and eat some oats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just chill with a feed bag on. Sure. Stay in. Wait, did, did the did the crop the, when she hit it with the crop? Did it make a discernible difference? Could you see anything different happen? It was. I mean, it was like a last ditch. You could see that it was a last-ditch effort, and she made it through the course. Oh, I mean, I've told all my girlfriends that. I don't <laughs> want to do this. You're, You're right. making – this is all I have I understand left. Yeah. that. Um, it but, is weird that her, her – her nation's uniform is the dominatrix outfit. Yeah, that was, I guess does that made sense in that hindsight. That surprised me. I was at first I was like, why is this woman wearing a leather bustier when everyone else is wearing like traditional riding yeah, yeah. clothes? Mm-hmm. Oh, you guys might not have been watching the modern pentathlon. You guys might have been watching the sexy pentathlon. <laughs> no, is... no, it was the modern pentathlon. It streams online. For no, okay. See, I'm glad you said that. Okay, Jordan, I'm a hundred percent sure now you are watching the sexy pentathlon. Well, okay. Yeah, no, it comes on during the. It, yeah, no, this is it because. It comes on mm-hmm. during the uh, halftime of the Super Bowl. Nope, that's the Puppy Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> that is okay. the Puppy Bowl. Also very sexy. Yeah. <laughs> also very sexy. 
Oh, geez, we are really. I'm so sorry, Donna, because it seems like we've been <laughs> we asking just questions about a whole wrong. other. It's a, thing. although it is amazing that this much of the conversation has synced up. Yeah, totally. Well, I feel like Considering... Donna's probably just been covering for oh, us. Oh yeah, that the was whole nice. Time. Thanks for not pointing out our right. Pointing out. Have our you gotten have, have you gotten any good stuff out of uh, being an Olympian thus far? Have you gotten to uh, like have any yeah. sandwiches named after you or anything? <laughs> That's the good stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you gotten That's any like good stuff whole... out of being an Olympian? Like. Look. Any sandwiches named after you? Like, that says so much about you, uh, Jesse Thorne, <laughs> that it does about Donna's experience. <laughs> well, I didn't I didn't. Oh, want if to only I up... could be an Olympian, then somebody would name that sandwich after me that I've been wanting. Look, man, I, I'm not trying to brag, but someone nominated me to be a Kentucky colonel, and I didn't want to bring that up, which oh, is everyone's boy. ultimate dream. Of course. Which because made I you cry, <laughs> just like watching Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I didn't want to... I didn't want to Rise of the Planet of the Apes made me feel very emotional. I don't remember sure. it making me cry. Okay. I remember it making me feel much more emotional than I was comfortable with. <laughs> but I don't think I cried in Revenge of the Planet of the Apes. Rise of the Planet of the yeah. Apes. Anyway, has you have you gotten any <laughs> no cool sandwiches, sorry to report. Besides but, uh, besides a ticket to Max Funcon East. Yeah. I, that does count. That's way up there with uh, Yeah. Uh, Huge, um, great fallout from is fallout. Can that be a positive term? Well, I mean, you know, it's it's a kind of radiation. I mean, we normally <laughs> think of it associated with nuclear you. winter, but yeah. you know, sure, you could argue that it you could argue that it was positive for the Incredible Hulk. Yep, yeah, yeah. Oh, great. Great. <laughs> particularly um, Gray Hulk. Yeah, <laughs> the Smart Hulk. Oh, yeah, that's specifically Gray. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure, sure. And uh, I I don't want to name hairs. who it was, but last night I got to fence someone really interesting. Oh, a celebrity friend, mm. Mr. Breckenmont. Mm. During the shooting Hasht- of hashtag friend zone. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> this fall on TBS, we're shooting a hundred episodes. None of them will be good. Friend zone. Well, you said TBS, so we know none of them. Will be good. Oh, okay, sorry. Boom. Yeah, that's right. I'm taking you to task, TBS. <laughs> wow, no sacred cows with Manzukas. <laughs> What's it? What's it like? Have you started school yet? I have. Oh my gosh, it's great. So, mm. what is it like? What's it like? And that's how we all feel about school. Oh I want to make God. it clear: yeah. everyone else in this room, school, just bringing Homework. up school, like I have a, a knot in my stomach. I, I so don't. Oh. oh. And you went to school in Morocco, where it was just making camel stew. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Oh, you went to stew school. Stew school. Oh man, I wish I'd gone to stew school. <laughs> oh man, you'd have eaten so many more potatoes. Oh man, like the tagines though in Morocco. Right. You yeah. know, sure. Couscous more. It's yeah. the starch. Like <laughs> <a> couscous. <laughs> have you got any couscous out of this thing? Okay, so you got to fence. any tagines named after you. You got to you got to fence us you got to fence a, a celebrity that we know who was working on a project that we're aware of, but sadly we're not allowed to say anything about. So that's pretty good. That was pretty good. What's it like at school, though? Um, so school is this whole other world. Do you wear an Olympics hat everywhere? Mm-hmm. Do people Should I know, wear an Olympics Do people hat? know so. you're an Olympian? Is that something that is like, and this is, maybe I'm being naive, but like, are you well known enough for your event in Canada that you are like, like people are like, oh my God, I just saw you on the Olympics? Um, no, only around, only around, um, I'd say, on campus where there have been a few um, posters and little things that we've done. So yeah. in that small campus world. We that should explain happen. that you're running for student council. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> 
But um, but I'm not that popular. Where your campaign slogan is a sandwich named after me in every cafeteria on campus. (laughs) (laughs) That would be so great. It's funny. It's like everyone's dream. It's like you in front of the big Citizen Kane crowd, but instead of your face, there's just a picture of a sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) And it says sandwich. (laughs) Vote for sandwich. sandwich. (laughs) It has an Olympic hat on. Ooh, I love that. Yeah, that's fun. I think you should wear you should wear like Canadian. I I can only presume that they're made by Roots, the popular Canadian sportswear brand. Um, but I think you should wear a I think you should wear like a warm up suit, sort of like a Palm Beach housewife, um, everywhere that has. I don't know what that is. You know, like a sweatsuit, like a tracksuit, like a tracksuit. Yeah, like a tracksuit that has you know some maple leaves and beavers and all and the just different Canadian. Slather things. yourself in Dracar Noir. <laughs> Yes. I this is a real mashup of strange things here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is the because you also because you also want to be a teenager who's going to his first bar mitzvah? What's yes. going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess I think tracksuit and Dracar Noir. Oh, interesting. Okay, okay, okay. 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 Got it, okay, got it, got I it. Gotcha. See, Dracar Noir to me is like, that's what I wore to go to bar mitzvahs. Uh, and hopefully, like, touch someone's boobs. Sweet. Yeah. Did not happen. Yeah. No? Donna. <laughs> <laughs> Donna, use your time machine <laughs> to go back in time and help Jason touch boobs at oh, bar God. or bat mitzvah. Does everything seem a little bit shittier than being in the Olympics now? No, it just keeps getting better and better. Oh, wow. Yeah, That's know. what I like to Sweet hear. So would you say that you're anticipating Max Funcon East being better than the Olympics? I'm saying that the overall picture is just cumulative, so that's going to be part of like the pinnacle of that. At that moment, that will be you the best know part that of you're supposed to compare your current state to pa- all your past states <laughs> and all the states of everyone that you know, and be disappointed if it's any sadder, right? Okay. And also, I've, I'm giving you a little basic psychology, and here. also measure it against a hypothetical, idealized future <laughs> wherein right. your life is way better than it is now, which it will never be. Oh so yeah. you're in a perpetual state of disappointment, and are as such a comedian. The key is to find <laughs> out. Is this how you operate? The key is to find out life. what auditions your friends got. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You know how they got them. The central thing is to find out what auditions your friends got, and if your friend books something. To focus on that. You know, oh, yeah. Focus on what they booked. And call your agents and managers and scream at them like, how did I not know about this? I don't understand. Really? Got it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're getting it now. Jay- Jason, okay, you can guest star on Friendzone. You know, it's just like, you can <laughs> it's just like at this We're point. We're making 100 episodes. At this point, Jordan, is Breckenmeyer really more relevant than me? I mean, come on, man. No, I mean, well, it, to the TBS demographic. Uh, you to know the what? Tyler Perry community. Perhaps. Perhaps. You know, this yeah. Breckenmeyer is still a there's big just, There's just so much anti-Morocco material just, in at the I, show, I didn't think you'd be comfortable are with you, it. I'm just cu- I'm certain, so curious. There's certain people, Janet Jackson, Arsenio Hall, mm-hmm. Breckenmeyer, yeah, yeah, yeah. who are big to that core Tyler Perry TBS 100-episode sitcom audience. Mm-hmm. Jordan's tapped in, <laughs> okay, and he knows that they want Brecken. They do not want Mansukis. Now, what I'm confused by is, is he doing double duty with Franklin and Bash? 
Like, are you getting him out of Franklin and Bash? Yeah, he's got a, he's got an every other day schedule, and we're setting up shop okay. right next to Franklin and Bash, gotcha. just so Meyer can run over, maybe <laughs> like on lunch breaks. And yours is yeah, okay, great, great. So, that's, yeah. that's pretty. Good. He wanted to stretch and do do some sort of light comedy in addition to the kind of weighty drama he does on Franklin and Bash. Oh yeah, yeah, the heavy, heavy drama. That <laughs> <is>. We do <laughs> sort of have a character coming up. Oh boy, Uncle Nasty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. Okay, great. Well, Donna, man, I I will say I will say that um, watching watching you compete in this in this thing was one of the most uh, moving and inspirational things in my life, and I mean that sincerely. Um, it was really amazing to see you do this. Yeah, and thrill of a lifetime. Not a no. Yeah, not. A, <laughs> Not to it was it was a thrill of a lifetime. I was trying to think if, of a word for it. Seriously, if thrill I, of a lifetime. If I was Mantukas right now, I would probably just kill myself for not having, having been there and experienced yeah, yeah, yeah. that. I mean, what's the point? Listen, now? it is a th- like I'm always on the verge of killing myself. Right. <laughs> sure. So you and know why wouldn't you be? You, have, you be? have had a revolver under your chin <laughs> for this whole this whole tape, which has yeah. been weird. It's yeah. you know what though you know I'm kind of pro not going to pull it. Yeah. Probably not going to pull. No, the hey, you but just I scoot a few feet to your left. Yeah, we I'll be right under get... the murder hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. You don't have. To have to but I am. I am tempted now to when we go <laughs> when I when we finish go home and I assume there I could find online footage of you doing your events, which I will watch online and probably jerk off. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, if you get rid of your Nordic track, how's that going to happen? Uh, you know what? Yeah, that's the thing. So I'm giving away the Nordic track. I'm yeah. going to – or maybe this is something to watch. Is this a good thing to watch on the Nordic track, do you think? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, maybe the sexy pentathlon. You should uh, start with yeah, that that's one. true. Or the that's puppy true. ball. You are the puppy <laughs> ball. Yeah. But yeah, it, it is so, like, amazing that we got to watch something so incredible happen because of this – this dumb show like it is kind of amazing so yeah, yeah. thank you it's and we're and we mind-blowing we couldn't be we couldn't be more proud of your performance and of course the performance of max gun um yeah probably uh, undoubtedly the best laser gun in the entire competition probably um and the so funniest one for sure. <laughs> have you started now i'm sorry to now start a new conversation topic but have you started now or have you always Training on a real gun for the because the biathlon is a real gun, right? And this what the laser gun is not. I haven't gotten that far. I've, okay, I've made some contacts, but I've never shot a real gun. Do you want? <laughs> do, do you want to? Want to go shoot guns after go this? The range? He's now just practicing his sides for Uncle Nasty. Hey, hey, hey lady, hey, hey, Olympic lady, you want to go? You want to go shoot guns? Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Donna, Brick and Meyer. Just start, like, you're all grown up now. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're all grown up. Oh, yeah, you're all grown up, huh? I got shoot guns. You, guns for a grown up. You want to go shoot a gun in a skin tight winter uniform? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I don't think they shoot at each other. Oh, they will, though. <laughs> in, my, in my Olympics, He's... where 18 people are let loose in a small forest. <laughs> it's a Hunger Games spring. Olympic style thing. It's all sexy ladies, though. He purchased the Village of the Crazies from yep. the film Jim Cotta. He's retrofitted it for a new type of most dangerous oh, yes. game. Oh, yes. It is definitely that. <laughs> well, Donna, thank you so much. Thank you so much for yeah, letting us everything. be a part of this whole thing. It's just been a pleasure to get to know you and, and follow this whole thing. And um, it's just been a joy. So thank you very much for letting us be part of it. Thank you. Thanks for carrying me through hours and hours and hours of training listening to your podcast. Seems like a bad idea. Seems like you should listen to <laughs> songs from Rocky or something, but we'll let that slide. <laughs> Thanks, Donna. We'll be back in just a second on Jordan Jesse Go. La, 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 la. 
I'm Jesse Thorne, America's Radio Sweetheart. Jordan Morris, Boy Detective. October 15th. What day is it, Jordan? It's the Max Fun Day. Oh, man, this thing is going to be great. We are blowing it out full steam ahead. Google Hangouts, Ask Me Anythings. I'll, I'm, you know, Twitter festivities. Sure. Uh, LinkedIn. Resume help. <laughs> We're gonna be giving people resume yeah, help. Hey, on you know, I'll yes. There you go. You know what? You got you got to change fonts. Mm-hmm. That font is not serious enough. Yeah. You know, you got you can't take up more than one page. You the don't hiring want manager's not going to have time to look at that. Sure. And if it's too big, decrease the margin size. Okay. Here's the thing. Is there a standard margin size for a resume? There probably is. You probably shouldn't you decrease can, the margin I size. I think you can play a little bit with the You can play margins. with it a little bit. Yeah. You can't decrease it or increase it to the point where you're like a college kid trying sure. to fuck around on how many pages are in his paper. Mm-hmm. But you can, you can squidge it. Sure. Nobody, no hiring managers. You can managers. massage the prostate. Look, <laughs> hiring managers don't have time to measure the margins. No, you're right. They're not going to judge. Just don't stretch it out all the way to the margins. Sure. You're going to get overspray. Mm-hmm. It's a problem you're going to Yeah, have. you don't want that. Okay, Also look. an issue with uh, prostate massage. <laughs> Next fun day is our goal is to get 1,000 new donors. So if you're not already a donor to MaximumFun.org, support our programming on Max Fun Day, October 15th, Monday, October 15th. Here's what you can do. You support us on a monthly basis. It's cheap. It's easy. You know, you never have to worry about it again. And guess what? You continue to get all of this awesome content for free because we can afford to make it for you. Um, I think if you love this show, if you love other Max Fund shows, Max Fund Day is the day to do it. We're mm-hmm. going to try and get a thousand new donors, and for every new donor that we get at ten bucks a month or more, we are going to be helping the Los Angeles Regional Food Bank provide twenty meals to needy families. A good cause. Yeah. So it's a it's a double punch. It's kicking you in both balls. Mm-hmm. With its good cause, your podcast ball, yeah, and your hungry family ball, yeah, exactly. Boom, boom, double, double up. And if you're already a donor, help us out by convincing someone. Uh, you know, let's get that hashtag moving, and yeah, you know, Move Facebook in, call somebody, call your grandma, get yeah. her on here. She loves Jordan Jessica. Set up a phone tree. She loves prostate humor. Mm-hmm. You know, just get get them in there and see, see what you can do. Max Fun Day, October fifteenth. Okay. MaximumFun.org slash MaxFunDay. It's Jordan Jesse Go. I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. Jordan Morris, boy detective. Jason Manzukas, the beard. Yeah, the beard. Fear the beard, as we San Francisco Giants fans like to say. He's who we keep around so people don't think we're gay. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, Jason, it's been a joy to have you on the program. Look, you're no Donna. You haven't been in the Olympics. I would never claim to be. Look, Donna comes to the door. You got to invite her onto the microphone. 100%. I will say this. In the 1984 Olympics, Summer Olympics, they played... Uh, qualifying matches of the Olympic soccer in Boston, and I was a ball boy. Wow. I was a ball boy on the Olympic soccer field. Our friend Jimmy Pardo, comedian and podcaster Mm -hmm. Jimmy Pardo, his wife, stand-up comedian and comedy writer Danielle Koenig, was in the opening ceremonies of the 1984 Olympics. Cool. Yeah, as like a six-year-old or something like that. Oh, that's neat. Getting a ball to the face thrown by Jason (laughs) Manzoukas. She was like, I want to say she was a pioneer (laughs) child. 
Like, really? That is role, oh, if I remember correctly, that's awesome. Maybe misremembering that. Anyway, Jason, of course, is the co-host of How Did This Get Made, a hilarious podcast. I'm on an upcoming week's episode. Jordan's been on in the past. I think that's probably the best place to start for anyone, whether you're a fan of us or not. Sure, our episodes, or God, I laugh my ass off at your guys's uh, Roadhouse episode, uh, live that's from Bumper Shoot. Maybe the hardest I've laughed at a podcast yeah, in quite was a good some one. time. It's, and it's you great. thought? I mean, I would imagine that as a lifelong Mike Nelson fan mm-hmm. that you would have thought that everything that could be said about Roadhouse had been said. Yeah, and that's how kind of how I went into it. As I'm a big Roadhouse fan, and definitely I've I've bought Mike Nelson's book where he goes into depth about why Roadhouse is the most ridiculous movie of all time. <laughs> so I'm like, eh, I bet I've heard all these observations before. No, you guys break new ground. Oh yes, it's great. We're not messing around. I think you describe uh, what really made me laugh. You describe Ben Gazzara's character as being a one man mafia of a Texas ghost. Town. Yes, that's basically what he is. <laughs> it makes no logical sense, right? Yeah, he's yeah he's that he's become a multi millionaire by extorting money from like a ghost town, right? Like, like, like one every... bar and an auto parts store. Exactly. He has enough money for a monster truck and safaris. <laughs> yes. Oh, guys, it's, it's great. It's a, it's a pretty good. It's a good episode. Um, and there's also a baby in it. But I mean, arts are better. Anyway, Lindsay Lindsay Pavlis on on the boards this week. Brian Fernandez on the edit. Hey, remember, Max Fun Day is October fifteenth. If you're already a donor, hashtag it Max Fun Day on that day. Share it with your friends. Uh, we're trying to get a thousand new donors and twenty thousand meals for needy families. So. Um, it's going to be a big day. We're going to be doing a Google Hangout. Um, you can find all the information at MaximumFun.org slash MaxFunDay. Anyway, we'll talk to you next time on Jordan Jesse Go. 